Hey, welcome to What Are You Watching? My name is Alex Withrow, and I'm joined, as always, by my best friend and fellow filmmaker and film fan, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Ace? Oh, man, I'm excited to be here. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're both excited for this one because we're going to get a little personal today. We had the idea of talking about our favorite film-going experiences, the times when we've gone to the theater, and it's either, you know, it could be a new movie, could be an older one, but times that just stick with us. And you and I could, this podcast could be six hours long, easily. Yeah. And I, we've had six hour long conversations about like, <laughs> what are two good experiences, but we're gonna <laughs> condense things a little bit and keep it fun. And we'll get a little, you know, we'll get a little serious at times. But movies imbrue my life with meaning, they mean everything to me. And the experience of seeing one may not even be one that turns out to be that great, but just the overall experience can fill my life with joy in a way that other things can't, that a lot of other things can't. This is what defines me, film. This is why we do what we do. Yeah, so part of loving film is, for me, loving the experience of going to see them occasionally. And I mean, um, there there is nothing like going into a space where um, you're about to be taken on a ride. And if you're uh, similar to the way that we feel, like these are the things that um, that express our humanity. This is we 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 receive these things. We interpret life through these images, and and going to a movie theater is different than watching them at home. Yeah. And some of those experiences, like you said, like whether it's a really good movie that 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 inspires us, that moves us, or it's a movie that. For whatever reason, it's just joyful, it's fun, it's alive, and that's what this is all about. Right, so to start our discussion, I have taken a few of these questions from the internet, so we have some pointed questions that I thought would be fun, and others are just going to be kind of a free form about our most memorable film-going experiences, but I thought this would be a fun way for us to get kicked off. You actually texted me this like two weeks ago, and this is what got the conversation about starting this podcast. So, question one. What is the very first movie you remember seeing in the theater? So I had to uh, I had to ask my mom because I wasn't entirely sure, and we ended up um, finding that it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number two, The Secret of the Ooze. Damn right, far superior sequel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I remember uh, like the images that I remember knowing that I saw on screen were when the guy finds the big dandelions. Dandelions. Yeah. Dandelions. And then Super Shredder at the end scared the shit out of me. Love that movie. Uh, Arguably the best use of cheese pizza in any movie still. The intro to that movie. Oh my God. That's a good one. And mine, I really, I really had to rack my brain on this because maybe this is important. I was born in 1985. So that's probably going to frame the time frame a lot of a lot of what we're talking about today, a lot of the movies are kind of from a similar time period because they were my formative years. But I had to really, because ra- I remember distinctly seeing Jurassic Park, 93. And I remember where I was sitting in the theater, who I was with. But the first like in the theater experience I remember was Aladdin setting the genie free in Aladdin. I remember being in the theater, everyone cheering, you know, he goes, you're free. And the shackles come off his wrists. And I have such a vivid memory of that, and that would have made me six. So it would have been six. Yeah, and I remember when we were texting, Aladdin was close for you too, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, you you thought that might have been your first, which is because you were born in 86, so we're, we're very similar in age. So I thought that was funny, and as our friendship 
grows, we find that we have a lot of these things in common. Like, yeah, Aladdin's our first movie that we saw in the theater, or you know, close to it. I just, I love that. Yeah, it's awesome, and because they came around the same time, like like anywhere between ninety one and ninety two. I think that's when you start taking kids to the movies. If you're if you were from our age, yeah, six seven. It's like a it's an appropriate time to start. So okay, getting getting in the free form. Holy shit. 1998. I'm 12 years old. All right. Summer 98. And He Got Game comes out. <laughs> you don't even know this story. You're already laughing. Just you fucking wait. I do not know much about it. I knew who Spike Lee was. I knew who Denzel was. Obviously, I knew I loved basketball. And my one of my best friends growing up, I had two best friends. And I'm going to talk about them both today. One of my best friends, his name was Scott, and his family were very devout. Mormons and they incredibly nice people. I loved them. They were like a second family to me and they, they followed their religion very carefully, but they were a family who loved film. Um, not so much R rated movies, maybe like an action movie every now and again. But I remember waking up on Saturday at Scott's house. I had spent the night and his dad, who was a great, great guy. We're sitting around the table and he's like, Hey guys, we should go see a movie today. He picks, he got game. So we go and we see it. And I mean, I, the language starts right away, but the sex in that movie, <laughs> when he's describing like, how do you spell HIV? And then there's a fucking three-way, like an, <laughs> you know, an hour and a half in. And to this day, I do not know why he didn't make us leave, but he did not. We sat there for the whole movie. It was one of the most mortifying experiences of my life. Probably no surprise today that that's one of my favorite movies ever made. Favorite movie in terms of rewatchability, how many times I've seen it, how much I love it. That's probably in my top 20. I, you love that movie. I fucking love He Got Game. Talk about it all the time, but I will never forget that experience. It was hysterical. It was mortifying at the time, hysterical in hindsight. <laughs> Jesus. That's awesome. Well, you just made me think about, um, so I had my best friend growing up, a guy named Joe. And uh, we would see everything together. Like, like, and um, when we were kids, it was a combination of all the Star Wars being re-released in 1997. They did a thing where it was every, every like two months, they re-released A New Hope, then Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And we were uh, of, that, of that Star Wars ilk. And we would go opening night, just pandemonium. Just everyone who was there. And it was also like parents who were like rewatching these movies with their kids in theaters. We just had like the best time. It was a very special time. Um, I think we, our, our friendship was really formed because of those Star Wars nights. And then we saw all the new ones when they came out. And then we're, of course, disappointed. Well, that's the way it goes. <laughs> um, I remember seeing this with my dad because that was the 20th anniversary of New Hope. And he was so excited to take me to those and be like, I remember after him saying, I cannot tell you what that movie did to cinema. Yeah. Like you knew right away that things, shit is not the same. It's like, it's just different. In 1977, they knew that. So I'm moving on to another funny one. Holy shit. This is an absolutely true story. I hope to have my dad on the podcast one day. He will verify. So 2002 Oscar nominations come out. So we're in early 2003. And it was our habit to go see as many of the acting, directing, and picture nominations as we could. And like by, by 2002, we're seeing all of them because we're obsessed and film junkies. Far From Heaven is the only movie we can't find. Julianne Moore is nominated. So it's our, it's our like holdout. We cannot find this movie anywhere. I, live, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, suburb of Washington, D.C. So we find this one theater that it's playing. 
in Fairfax County, Virginia, suburb of DC. And we go to it and I look at the marquee. It's like, it's only playing at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night. And that's it. One showing the whole week. So we go, I don't recognize any other names on the marquee. And this theater, we walk in and I'm like, this theater is really small. It's a four screen theater. But I was like, the hell's going on here? So as is customary then and now, I use the bathroom before the movie start. I go into the bathroom. There are two businessmen in suits standing in the middle of the bathroom. They're not using the bathroom. But I have clearly interrupted something. Oh. And again, 2002, quick math, quick math. I'm 17 to early 2003. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on in here? So I don't go to the bathroom and I leave. My dad and I go sit down. And a married couple comes in before the movie and we start to notice a few things right away. Number one, like the screen is maybe 50 inches. So like a, like a TV now. <laughs> um, there are eight seats in the theater. Oh, my God. And by 2002, my favorite movie is already Taxi Driver. And I look at my dad and I go, this is a fucking porno theater. And he's like, what do you mean? I go, dad, there are eight seats in here. The armrests are covered in plastic. The screen <laughs> is small. I read it to two businessmen who I guess were trying to do something to each other in the bathroom so then my dad looks at the couple and he's like have you been to this theater before and they're like no we're just here because julian moore's nominated for the oscar and it's not playing anywhere else and the woman of the couple goes i think this is a fucking porn theater <laughs> like, what? but this is before smartphones like we couldn't look it up we say for the whole movie <laughs> the four of us do we're like we're in it together we like the movie i still love the movie and we leave, and I look at the other titles. It's not like Shaving Grind's Privates. It's nothing like that. Yeah. Come to find out, this is a since-closed porno theater outside of Washington, D.C. It was totally legal, and once a week, they played an indie movie for one showing. Oh, my God. And that's it. And somehow, we found this. And that, I will never, ever forget that. It was hysterical. It was gross. But it was amazing. I think Jesus. the funniest part about that is that the armrests are covered in plastic. What a detail. Plastic. I, sh I shit you not. Oh, and like, dude, it was just like Taxi Driver. The fucking snacks were all like individual and like the popcorn was already boxed. And I'm like, this is really weird. But the people who worked there were really nice. There was no like weird vibes. But yeah, that's it was a. Uh... I did not even, this first and only ever time in a porno theater that I'm, I'm good. I got my, I guess I, <laughs> I guess I got my one out of the way. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's fantastic. So uh, when I was a kid, I was definitely seeing movies that I probably shouldn't have been seeing. You know, my, either my mom or my uncle would take me to rated R movies. Um, they, they didn't mind. They knew I was mature enough to, to handle it. But this was one particular time where, um, my uncle and I decided that we were going to go see Very Bad Things. Jesus. <laughs> Great movie. So that's 98. So you're tw you're you're 11 or 12 in 98. Yeah, I'm somewhere around there. And, you know, because, of course, like the trailer doesn't really make it seem like what we're actually in for. And so we're there and it's a pretty crowded theater. Like this was Rochester, New York. It all starts going down in the movie. And my uncle and I cannot stop laughing. We are howling at it. And this is a movie that just keeps building. Like you think that they've just gone too far. It, it, it does not stop. And we did not stop laughing. People were walking out of the theater. People were looking over at us and you could hear them whispering. He brought his son to see this movie. 
Like we were getting, and he's not even my dad. <laughs> and I've never laughed that hard in a theater. Um, and I think it's particularly because we knew we were under the microscope because we were trying not to laugh because we knew we were getting, you know, um, looked at and talked about. So we tried to kind of keep it under wraps. At one point, my uncle was just sort of like, hey, you know, keep it cool. People are people are talking. We were hollering it, and it was just, I loved, I'll never forget that. That was so much fun. Oh God, that's great. Yeah. Uh, a movie with probably some rough language, then some cocaine use, then sex with a prostitute, death of the prostitute, death of the security guard. So like, <laughs> yeah. that's like by minute 25. So yeah, that's, that's Dude. a, that's a, that's an interesting sit for an 11 year old with his uncle. And and particularly we we were laughing at all of the stuff that probably isn't actually funny because there's a little moment in that scene where they're holding the door closed while the the security guard's bleeding out and they're just they like, keep screaming and like yeah and they're screaming and we're laughing because he keeps hitting the door and then there's like a moment where it's like wait I think he might be dead and he hits the door and they're like yeah and then he's like going I'm bleeding I'm bleeding <laughs> and it's really disturbing but it's fucking funny if you only know. Pete Berg, Peter Berg from his like big Mark Wahlberg action movies. That was his first, so uh it's certainly not the most critically critically acclaimed, but I don't know. It's fun. It's ridiculous on purpose. Christian Slater is in full on Christian mode. Like he's going for it. It's my favorite Christian Slater performance. My next one is funny as well, and this is uh, a bit of a cheat because I actually Okay. So it's 2005. I'm in college, and the Every like weekend, they the college would host like a movie. They would show a movie for free for students, and you could go. And it was in like a large classroom, so like a three hundred seat classroom. They could pull down a screen as big of a movie theater. Okay, so it's two thousand five, and they say they're going to show Ali, Michael Mann's Ali with Mills with Will Smith, uh. which I know does not hold up in like the culture as the best Michael Mann film. But to tell you that I was obsessed with this movie when it came out. And I became obsessed with boxing because of that movie, obsessed with Ali. Uh, He's still one of my favorite historical figures, my favorite athlete of all time. So I love this movie. I know this movie by heart by 2005. My roommate all through college was this guy, Beretta. Great guy. He was from Ethiopia. Great name. Yeah, we were fast friends. We were roommates. He hadn't seen it. So I go, all right, we're going to go see Ali. So we go and, uh, sorry, dad, we were uh, inebriated (laughs) Uh, quite, quite heavily. And, you know, we expected there to be a lot of people there. So we go and there's not a single soul in this theater. It's just, I mean, it's a Saturday night. Kids are probably out partying, but we're drunk. We're having fun. And uh, we didn't sneak any alcohol in. We pregame before. And I realized after five minutes, I'm like, well, we'd, we can treat this like we're in our living room because there's no one else in here. So it becomes an ongoing running drunken gag for the two 20 minute runtime two hour 20 minute runtime in the movie that i am basically acting it out and i'm going doing the will smith monologues if there's a fight i'm doing all the moves because i have the moves memorized by the time the rumble and the jumble jungle comes in the end my favorite boxing fight of all time in real life i know in the movie all the beats to it i know when will smith is going to look down and decide like okay it's round eight here i go i know how many how he throws the punches, it's in slow motion. So we're like on the floor of this theater, boxing it out and acting it out and cursing and acting a damn fool, cheering John Voight, it is over, it is over. Like, we're going nuts. Movie ends, we're out of breath, lights come up. 50-year-old woman starts walking down 
from the top row of the theater. Oh. And I and we are celebrating. I shit you not. My hands are stuck in the air like I am a fucking world heavyweight champion who just won the fight. And I slowly put them down and I'm staring at her and Beretta freezes and I go, I am so sorry. Because when I look up, there was another fucking entrance to the theater that you could oh, access on a second man. floor. She clearly came in like 10 minutes in, sat in the back. And I'm mortified because she's obviously a professor. If you, only students or professors could see it. And I go, I'm so sorry. And she dies laughing. She cannot compose herself. And she walks by me, puts her hand on my shoulder as she's walking and goes, you don't understand. You guys were so much better than that movie. I will never forget this. And left. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And I, I don't know who she was. Never saw her again. But it, it was like, I, that's, that's an experience that you don't forget. And for her. I mean, she saved it. It, it made it, it. I don't even know if I would have ever retold that story had that last bit not happened. But to see her walk down and then to her, she never told us to be quiet. I mean, I guess she was just into it. She's like, these kids, like, why do they love this movie so much? Like, why does this dude know every line for this? So, yeah, great great moment in my life yeah, that uh that just reminds me of um i wasn't even going to talk about this but i feel like i have to to kind of like piggyback off of that you know me very well and anyone who's been to a movie with me knows that i am a very very animated audience member very <laughs> i uh i laugh very loud i move a lot if i am in a thrilling situation i am on the edge of my seat and so I remember this was 2012 because Argo was the movie. And um, but I remember like that whole end sequence where he's Ben Affleck is trying to get everyone onto the plane. Yeah. Is so tense. So well done that I I was by myself and I was on the on this the um, very, very because I always like to sit on like the side and near the aisle and um, I and there wasn't too many people in the theater, but I was having an experience where I'm like my knees were up in my lap on the chair. I am just like I'm biting my nails. I'm like, like not looking at the screen. I, I am physically involved. I'm almost there. Then the movie ends and I'm just sitting there kind of calming down from it. And there was this girl and her boyfriend that just like as they were walking out, the girl taps her me on the shoulder and she goes, I was watching you during that whole entire end sequence. And I go, oh, my God, I'm really sorry. I, I, I kind of get into it. And she goes, it was amazing. You, 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 you made this whole entire movie for us. And I was like, oh, well, I'm glad. I, 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 need, I need a water. <laughs> yeah, like, it's just so cool when people are cool like that. And, yeah, I, I really like that. Um, real quick, I didn't plan to talk about this either. I'm going to make this real quick. Um, when I lived in LA, we would go to movies a lot and occasionally I'd be able to get premiere passes like to the premiere of a movie. And, um, one of those that I got was the nice guys and, you know, all the stars are there were Grumman's Chinese theater downtown. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's like all the famous people are in there and that final fucking scene when we still say this to each other today, when he goes, well, at least you're drinking again. And Russell Crowe's like, yeah, the after Russell Crowe did that, yeah, you laughed 
so hard and then i started <laughs> laughing and for whatever reason we were the only people in the theater who laughed at that joke but we yeah we could not get it together there's like 45 seconds more in the movie and there's a funny bit when he shows like the ad yeah it's the very very end yeah and like we people were looking at us and we just because premiere when you go to see a premiere like that it's often very like stuffy like people are trying to people are very fake and yeah i can attest to the fact that you're you you can be very animated in movies <laughs> yeah i let it all go <laughs> that kind of my next one was i've actually talked about this before when we were talking about our favorite movies of all time 2001 a space odyssey seeing that movie in the theater for the first time it's in the cinerama dome arclight dome in hollywood california Every film fan should try to go to that theater once before you die. It's just, it really is an experience. Yeah. And seeing uh, the movie with arguably like the biggest scope of all time, at least for my money, I just wept as it began during the credits. Oh, man. During the damn music. And I went, I'm going to love every minute of this. And since I've seen it, I think you and I have seen it like two or three times together in the theater. Yeah. It comes out like every few years, they'll bring it back and um, definitely a memorable one for me. For sure. Yeah, I think in LA, like I don't I don't think there's any time during a year that you can't see that movie. They are they always show it's great. And I always go, This was a very, very this is a, a situation where this movie actually changed my life. It was two thousand seven. I was living in Buffalo, New York, where I grew up, and I was in college and I had been acting and I knew this is what I was gonna do with my life. But I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what, 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 how I was going to do it. Was I going to go to New York? Was I going to go to LA? I, I just didn't know. And so um, there was this little tiny independent movie theater in Buffalo uh, called the Amherst Dipson. And um, it was my favorite place to go. They used to sell, they still do. Whenever I go back to Buffalo, I make a point to go to this theater. Uh, they sell like these delicious homemade uh, half dipped chocolate cookies. They're, they're amazing. Um, but I, was, I went to go see Into the Wild, and uh, I was the only person in the theater, which is always a special experience. It's always fun. You, you always kind of remember that. Definitely. That movie took me uh, emotionally to, a, to so many different places, and um, I remember when that movie ended, I knew that I was going to go to Los Angeles. I had just decided the movie the movie made the decision for me. I didn't have to have any more conflict. I didn't have to wonder. I didn't I don't know what it was, but there was something about the adventure. There was something about the um becoming a man. One of my favorite things of that movie was that they he breaks Sean Penn breaks it up in chapters. There's one chapter called Manhood. And the very start of that chapter is he's um, he's trying to sneak on a train to hitch a ride, gets caught, and gets punched in the face. And I go, well, if that's not manhood, I don't know what is. Like, you think you're setting off to do something, and life just punches you right in the face. And there was just so many things about that movie from where I was as a formative kid that I was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it. And I did. So that movie is very, very special to me. And that was a movie going experience that like if anyone's had a situation like that where a movie has changed their life in that way, it's one of the coolest things. And I think it's another reason to kind of talk about in the beginning of the podcast, why we love movies, why we go to them, why we do what we do. Damn right. I love stuff like that. What a 
it's great how movies can find you. Yeah. At when you when you need to be found at a time in your life, and sometimes that can be a theatrical experience. Sometimes it can be at home. Um, I'm actually my next one was I was going to talk about a game changer for me, a literal life changer. Antoine Fisher, 2002. Okay, uh, this is not a movie that gets talked about enough now, if at all. It's such a shame. It was the first movie Denzel Washington directed. First movie uh, starring Derek Luke, who plays the title character. It's very special, sentimental, at times ferocious film. It has it has a lot of really poignant things to say about trauma and how to deal with that and how to deal with emotional and physical abuses you've gone through and how to kind of how that can mold you into someone who's angry and someone who's lost and doesn't have any direction. And that's kind of fair given your circumstances. But so I connected with it on that level, but more importantly, it was, this came out late December, 2002. So I saw it early 2003 and on Christmas day, 2002, my, one of my best friends in the world was in a car accident Christmas evening. He was the passenger in a car that hit a patch of black ice it was just dumb fucking luck and it was a bad accident he died as a result of those injuries on new year's day 2003 oh man his name was corn travis he was 16 years old and it was uh it was fucking brutal it was it was just it was awful and i'm saying that as his close friend it was horrible for his family his siblings his mom and dad um and this was the first movie i saw after that and it's a really weird thing to be 17 and lose your best friend it's it it just <laughs> it just sucks it sucked in in every way but this movie made me understand that life is hard and life beats you down mm-hmm. and there are a lot of avenues you can go and the movie shows that you can go back to your old friends who are kind of dabbling in crime go down that road become a statistic you can Maybe join active service, which is he, which is what he does. But there are avenues to take to where you're not fucking miserable all the time. And you're not mad about losing someone. You're not mad about the things that have happened to you. There is peace to be found. It's a great movie about redemption. I saw it with my dad. I'll never forget just the tears we shared watching it. Um, I got to meet the real Antoine Fisher because of my dad a few months later. Like drove to Cleveland on a whim for a book signing. It's a oh man, really really important movie that I needed at the time, and that movie will always for the rest of my life hold a place in my heart. I watch it at least once a year just to like remember what this movie did for me. Dude, that's beautiful, man. That's really like that 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 is. I mean, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened to you, and it's such a tragic it's life life, man. <laughs> but to be able to find comfort. And not just comfort, but that like that story you just said, um, it's more than comfort. It, it, it was actually a realization for you that like life can go on. Um, and let me it, it, what the word the word I was looking for was perspective, because yeah. the real Antoine Fisher and I or how he's depicted in the movie, he and I could not be more polar opposite. I mean, in terms of mm-hmm. where we come from, he's black, I'm white. His trauma in childhood was different from my childhood trauma, but it that didn't matter. It was like I understood his pain. I really appreciated this new, really gritty perspective of this orphaned kid that I, it, you know, it it really opened my eyes to a lot, and that's that's why I'm indebted to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll kind of keep this thread going um, because this is a movie that I did want to talk about, and it kind of follows suit here. 
Well, without getting into it too much, um, my father passed away uh, from a drug overdose uh, back in 2006. And um, I went to go see The Fighter. And, uh, and I was with a bunch of friends. I was living in Los Angeles. Uh, I was living with, I think at the time, we had like six roommates all together in one house. And we would go see movies together. And one of, one of them was a really close friend from college. So he knew me really well. I knew him really well. He had lost his father as well. The, uh, so we're sitting next to each other in the theater. It's probably opening weekend for that movie. And so it was a big crowded theater. And um, the opening of the movie is of Christian Bale. And he is very much in his uh, drug state. And uh, when I saw that, that was the closest thing I've ever seen to what my dad was like towards the end. And I have never felt like this in any movie since where it was the breath had been taken completely out of me. Like it was sucked out. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was so, it was my dad right in front of me. And my friend who knew everything and um, he just grabbed my arm. Like he didn't need to know anything. He just grabbed my arm and I looked at him and I was crying and he, and he just looked at me and he just nodded as if he knew. And, um, and after that moment, um, I love that movie so much. And it's Christian Bale. I mean, I, listen, this is the power of acting. You know, I know, um, you know, we see a lot of movies and a lot, there's a lot of stories, but this is a specific instance where a specific portrayal of another human was exactly what I knew. And it resonated with me in a way that I it, I took a lot of pride in what I do. Um, I took a lot of pride in art. I took a lot of pride in a lot of things because I, I just was like, wow. So I will never forget that feeling. I, I, it'll be if, if, if there's another movie that comes along that does that, that'll be something. But until then, I'll never forget that moment. And I, and I didn't even care that I was like in a room full of like people. Yeah, who cares? You were in there alone as far as you were concerned, just you and your buddy, you know? It's like, yeah, it's so strange to see when a movie character connects with someone in our life like that, especially if it's a troubled person from our life and you're like, Mm -hmm. and especially if that person's gone. I mean, uh, yeah, I remember you telling me that story. That's, it just must've been so surreal. It was, I I can't even explain it. It really, yes, surreal is the word. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh, keep things nice and light. And <laughs> No, this is a little lighter. And this is another one I kind of talked about in our first episode. I am going with, there isn't much more to this than just the very first time I saw Steve McQueen's shame is forever locked in my memory because this is 2011, it's December 2011. I'm actively making movies. You know, I'm writing about movies. I'm, I'm a huge movie fan by this point, I'm, no question. And it completely... It rewrote it for me. It rewrote the entire language of cinema, but it rewrote it because everything that I had wanted to do and the way that I had wanted to say it was in that movie. And I say this and I, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about like the sexuality of it. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about the tone, the atmosphere, the shot constructions, the editing cuts, the cold, painful performances. It spoke to me in a way that no movie has in the theater ever so i mean i was just i was locked in 
in a way that I never really have been. And now it's, you know, it's in my top five of all time. And that's it. It's a pretty simple one. The first time I saw that, I'll never forget it. E Street Cinemas, Washington, D.C. Whew. You know, you're totally right. Like we see movies that, um, especially once you're at that point where this is what you do, you know, there's no turning back. And right. You see these new things that come up that, 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 yeah, they rewrite your idea of how you want to do what you do. And it's not stealing. It's not ripping off. It's complete inspiration. Something has taken hold where it's a new part of you that you've always known, but someone else touched it. It's validating. Absolutely. It's like, holy shit, someone else, like, wants to do this too and i you know doesn't give a shit if it's rated nc-17 which means not as many people can see it it just it was it was a total freedom of expression that i hadn't really seen done in that way and love it um so i just want to talk about this movie really quick because this is just an experience that uh I, I i really loved so the movie is a ghost story and uh so casey affleck and rooney mara and i was by myself uh, one of my night, my nightly L.A. just solo movie going experiences, which is kind of my favorite way to do them. And I didn't know what to expect with this movie. And sure enough, it wasn't that crowded. But but by the time you get to the Rooney Mara pie eating scene where she just eats a pie in one take. Yes, she does. I was sold. I was because also like the reality of that situation with the grief she was feeling, you know, but that to me is because like I would say at least four people got up and left the theater right at that point. And I was like, well, this is it. You either understand exactly why this is happening or you're like, I'm not going to sit here after paying like $16, $20 for a movie to watch someone eat a pie. <laughs> and but from that moment on where that movie went existentially fucked me up in a best beautiful way. That movie like touched on a lot of of my I guess questions about the universe, a time definitely got to be fears if I was if I was moved to the point that I was. But I I couldn't walk after the movie. I got up and everything around me was a daze. I was questioning why, like, well, what am I supposed to do now? I just saw this. And I have a view of the world and the universe, and I'm like, am I just supposed to go home? Or does it even matter? Like, all of these feelings. And I remember there was a Arclight kid that was going to clean up the theater. I don't know why, but I just, I, I he must have kind of got scared. Because I just, like, he just came into my, my, my field of view. And I go, did you see this? <laughs> and he just goes, and, and he's like, no. I go, okay. Like you, like 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 what the fuck? <laughs> and I'm like asking this kid like like to help me through life essentially, and, and I just walk out and I just I just walked around Hollywood aimlessly. I could have crossed streets with red lights and gotten hit by a car and not known. I was just lost for at least thirty minutes. I love that. It was looking back at that. I'm like. That's an achievement as a filmmaker. If you can have that type of reaction on somebody, and I'll never forget that that was a very powerful, powerful moment. And I remember I w I'm lucky enough because you texted me almost all that like verbatim pretty shortly after you saw it because I think I got to that one first, that movie. And I told you, you and I have a rule that we don't, if one of us has seen something new first, we don't talk about it. It's like, yeah, 
this needs to be at the top of your list. And I think I was like, put that one at the top and go because that movie's made for people like us. And yeah, I'm, we're not using this podcast just to solely promote our own work. I am going to, but you know, whatever it's, <laughs> it's a part of it. You mentioned the pie scene. If you go look at the last movie Nick and I made together, I'm alive. The first chapter of that ascent is in the four, three aspect ratio and has you very angrily in a moment of grief eating a dessert pastry, which you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't stealing, but it's that movie was very influential for me too. It's so I really like how that captured grief and they shot it for like a hundred grand. Yeah, it's it's nuts. Like it's just crazy and it looks great. Great call. Yeah, there, there's something about food in moment in certain emotional moments that's very real. Yeah, I I don't know why I just thought of this just really quick, but even in the town with uh, Jeremy Renner, the soda, the soda. That's just one of those like details where if you really put yourself in the reality of that, oh, that's like too real. That's that's like really on the nose. He does that shit in the Hurt Locker too with the Capri Sun. He opens it for the other guy. Renner likes his liquids, I guess. I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> so that was fun to hear those stories. You know, they were funny. They were heartfelt. That was kind of a free form round robin. Back to kind of a guided question. I want to know the most excited you have ever been to see a movie in a theater mine no question scream 2 1997 yeah (laughs) december 12th 1997 in fact i'm 12 years old i cannot tell you how obsessed i was with scream came out the year before my best friend chris and i when that thing came out on vhs i mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times we had it memorized it and The day that Scream 2 was released, I know this sounds silly because I've been so excited for such serious, noteworthy, modern classics, but nothing will match that youthful excitement of seeing this movie for the first time. I have chills just thinking about it. It puts me back into being a kid. Like I was, I was sweating with anticipation. You know, I had to like suffer the whole day in school and then finally got to go. I remember where I sat. And then that was the first time I saw Scream 2. And then the last time I saw Scream 2 is, again, referenced in I'm Alive. Yeah, yeah. The movie we made. So go check that out if you want to see Scream 2 come full circle for me. What about you? Most excited ever. So I think the most excited I ever was um, The Dark Knight. Nice. In 2007. 2008. And I think it was, I mean, I think everyone, oh, 2008, yeah. And I think, you know, everyone was excited for that movie because I think everyone was curious to see what Heath Ledger was going to do because there was so much controversy over him as the Joker. But I was with, um, to round it out, um, with my best friend growing up in Buffalo Joe. It was opening night. I think it was probably a, like close to a midnight showing because that was one of those situations where like they play it all throughout the night like because they know they're going to get sold out. And we were in line. And it was a pretty aggressive line. Everyone was really fired up. And and so I think that was adding to the excitement because it was like it was like a fan fever. And and I was already excited to see the movie, but being there live with a crowd of people that were just jonesing, whether it was for Heath Ledger or because it was Batman, whatever it was, like the 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 energy was real. And we didn't know if we were gonna get seats together. So we were kind of like, hey, we might have to see this movie completely separated. But fortunately, we didn't. And the movie took 20 minutes to start past its time. Like it was supposed to be like 11 p.m. It didn't start till like 1120. So fans are getting antsy. 
But then, in, but all of that to me just kind of really amped up live my excitement. I was like, I don't know what we're going to see, but I cannot wait for it to start. And, uh, and we were not disappointed, I'll say that. Dude, I mean, the opening 10 minutes of that movie, I don't know how to better open like a blockbuster film. I don't. And when that mm-hmm. son of a bitch took off that fucking mask and the music is swelling up and he just says stranger yep. right into the camera. I, again, I'm getting chills thinking about it. Like, I remember seeing that. I went opening day as well. And just the stranger, vroom, the music, I went, I audibly went, ooh. Mm-hmm. Like that, just like, wow, look at him. Oh, my God. And that seeing that movie had an added level of poignancy because he was gone. Yeah. I, he had he died in January 2008, and this was July. So it was, yeah, it was, it was sad. Okay, final guided question. What is the time where you and the crowd had the most fun in the theater? So it is a collective experience. Everyone is just kind of losing it and having a good time you want to go first in los angeles if anyone lives in los angeles uh they do this thing in the summertime at the hollywood forever cemetery they project movies onto a giant wall and you sit there on the ground like on the lawn with like picnic baskets and blankets and food you can drink you can smoke you can do it it's one of the coolest things ever and um they were playing american psycho which is not exactly like a uh, very fan friendly movie. Like they tried to keep it pretty like um, fun movies like Back to the Future, Speed, things like that. Like the things where audience can have a lot of fun. Showgirls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Elizabeth Berkeley introduced Showgirls there. Good for her. Sorry, keep going. Keep going. They were playing American Psycho and I was really nervous because I love that movie like top 10. And I also know that that movie is not well-received by everyone in the comedic way that it's meant to be. So I was like, man, this could really suck where it's like I'm laughing and everyone is just not. Mm-hmm. From the opening credits to where it's the guys sitting in the in the restaurant, you know, flicking things at each other. It's like you don't spin a menorah. You spin a dreidel. Everyone started bursting out laughing. And I was like, oh, my God, this could be amazing. And it was a giant hundreds of people laughing at every single thing about that movie. And it was I've never had a funner time from start to finish at a movie, especially being outside in the middle of the night, a cemetery. So cool. So that's a great pick. Um, Okay, most fun for me. This was actually I thought it was going to be tough, but this was really easy. It is hands down Spider-Man 2 opening weekend Times Square. New York fucking city. Wow. Every film fan alive should experience a Times Square night weekend showing at least once in your life if you can, because it is unlike anything you've ever seen. You, you, you're not told to be an active participant, but everyone just is. And they, if the movie's not going well, they're yelling at it. And this was my first time seeing that. And it was a very, very animated crowd that said a lot of stuff I cannot repeat but it was um <laughs> it was the funniest like that's not a funny movie and it was so funny and just so memorable at how riotous everyone was acting and that's the only time i've seen a movie in times square I, i'll never forget it everyone was just oh my god we were all just completely beside ourselves it's great that's awesome 
I've actually never seen a movie like that in Times Square, so that makes me want to go. Yeah, you should do it sometime. Next time you're you're in New York, it doesn't really even matter what the movie is. Just make sure it's crowded. Make sure it's going to be like a big movie that people are going to see. But just go see it. It's it's really something else. Um, that was that was that was a lot of fun hearing yours. A lot of funny ones, some heartfelt ones. Yeah. We're gonna come to our final segment here. What are you watching? I'm gonna kick it to you first. Can be a wild card. It's anything you want. Go for it. It's a complete wild card. Um, I've seen it before. Saw it in theaters with my mom, but uh, I just rewatched her. Oh, cool! By uh, Spike Jones. I mean, I really had a good time with it. Rewatching it, I, I that movie's that movie's really fucking cool. It really is, and I am almost ashamed to admit that I've only seen it once in the theater, just once when it was there, and that's 2013, I believe. That was 2013. Yeah, it's on Netflix, so, like, why the hell haven't I rewatched it? It's just, it's a really different side of Joaquin, really different side of Rooney Mara, kind of. Yeah. Good choice, yeah, and Spike Jones, make more movies, please. That was the last one he made. Seriously. I want more. I I love them. Make more. Yeah. I'm staying a little, that was a great choice. Her is a really good call. I need to, I need to watch that. I'm staying on Brandon. My last one is a very memorable experience I had. It is the movie Copland from 1997 oh. directed by james mangold not a lot of people talk about copland and i like mangold he's had a really interesting career ford versus ferrari was great but copland was his second film and it is still by long and far my favorite it's a gritty corrupt cop thriller the type that they did so well in the 90s and it has it leads to having echoes of rio bravo like the journey it takes you on is very similar to that film, uh, Sly Stallone giving his best performance, restrained, overweight, sensitive. And then you've got Keitel, Leota, De Niro, Robert Patrick, John Spencer. It's just stacked with tough guys, really going for it. Great roles for Annabella Sciorra, Kathy Mayorty from Raging Bull, Edie Falco. It's stacked. So It's a great movie. It's a great movie. It is a confusing movie to a 12-year-old because there's a lot of deception. There's a lot of people coming in and out a lot of deception that is expressed through dialogue only and you have to pay attention so i'm seeing it with my dad and i'm realizing as as i've been talking that a lot of movies i've referenced during this podcast are when i was 12 years old so that's interesting but every once in a while my dad would lean over and fill in the gaps for me and be like okay so yeah that guy's sleeping with the woman from raging bull and Kaitel suspects it so he's gonna let him die if you see the movie you'll know what i mean but so he keeps filling in these gaps for me very quietly. My dad's a very, very kind, considerate person. And it's a crowded theater Saturday night, like opening weekend. And this guy behind us, this adult kind of leans forward and he's like, hey, sorry, can you keep it? Can you keep it down? And my dad, this is not really like my dad. My dad turns around, looks the guy straight in the eye. The middle movie's still going, looks the dude straight in the eye and kindly but directly said, hey, I'm sorry, but this is important. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can check out my flicks and my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you find all of Nick's film work. Nicholas Ali does the music for our show. I've made a few music videos with Nick. He's a great guy and we love his tunes. Big thank you to him. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we're going to look at the decades-long career of the great Roger Deakins, a cinematographer Nick and I both love to death. 
Stay tuned. Hey, welcome to what are you? Hey, welcome to what are you watching? Hey, welcome to what are you watching? Thanks for coming back and checking. No, fuck. <laughs>